0: Hello. I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. That was quick. That was. I went fast. No problems. We're getting, We're getting good at
1: this a year later. <laughs> it's only taken us a year.
0: Only taken us like it'll 60 episodes. T- it'll
1: only take us like five years to get better at our outros. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's going to take a lot longer, guys. Sorry. It's awkward. Well, before I get into my case today, I just wanted to say for those of you who are on the internet. We are recording this on September 2nd, so you will know that if, if you're chronically online, you'll know about Ruby from 8 Passengers, which is a YouTube channel, and she's on TikTok. And she's a Mormon mom who like, vlogs about parenting her kids, and I have had problems with her from oh, for a really long time, and she got arrested this week.
1: So you know I'll be following I do not follow. Okay. So, this is news to me. She got arrested for child abuse. I don't know. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's
0: what her vlog was about. Yeah, she's a she's like a parenting channel, like a family channel on YouTube and TikTok. So, and like those of you who've seen her online, I I have never actually seen her videos come up on their own. I see people like stitching the video and talking about it. Yeah. Because it's very problematic. She's horrible with her kids. We're not like shocked that this is this far, but what we're learning since she's been arrested is that it's way worse than it looked, which is horrible because it looked really bad.
1: And how long had she been vlogging? I'm not sure. I just wonder, like, how long does it take them to figure that out when you're vlogging about Um, your terrible parenting practices?
0: I don't know. I think it just took long enough for them to have like like for the kids to to do something about it, I guess. It's unfortunate. Um how old are her kids? She has eight kids, eight passengers. And there's ah, gotcha. some that are older and some that are younger. Yeah. Okay. But I just want to let you know that I am following it. I will report back once we get, you know, closer to or through a trial. But um I hate it. I hate it here.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say I hate this. I hate it here.
0: Um, I... it, it feels a lot like Lori Vallow Part Two, except the kids are alive and now they're
1: having to deal with all this mess. Well, it, it's just you know. I mean, better to deal with the mess now than wait until. I mean, I don't. I, I don't, don't know. know.
0: It's different because they. I don't know. It just, ugh, ick. So.
1: Anyway, we're very
0: excited to be here,
1: guys. Actually, yes, because
0: this is a it's an interesting case. This case comes to you like a banana in two parts. In just one episode. So there's the peel uh, okay. and then there's the banana. Okay. <laughs> there are two main parts. There's the crime and then the court case. And the the reason that this case came up on my like feed on my timeline and stuff is because of what is happening currently in the media with one of the perpetrators of the crime. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about it at the very end, but two parts peel, banana. Start with All the peel in one. Start with the peel. Okay. So today we're talking about the Senate family. The Senate family was um, a super Christian family with two young kids, a pastor, husband, and a mother who was super involved in their community. A pastor, husband. A husband who's a pastor. Oh, okay. Um, when their two sons were quite young, um, the couple, their names are Charles and Elizabeth, or Liz for short, moved from Ohio where their all their close-knit family was, and they moved to Tennessee for Charles to start going to preaching school. Pre- <laughs> that's the official name. Preaching school. Not seminary. <laughs> he was going to preaching school. For real. I they never called it seminary. Everybody just said he was going to preaching school.
1: You <laughs> see Alicia's face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What? I've I've uh, never, I, I've always heard it called seminary school. Yes. Uh, or Bible college. Yeah. I've uh, never heard it called preaching school. But again, I don't know if it but was they, like a full on s- school or if he was just learning from a preacher in Tennessee. I don't know.
1: Okay. And you said they're Mormon? No, Church of Christ. Church of Christ. Okay. hmm um, Okay. And a
0: majority of the crime takes place in 1988, excuse me. Because I don't think I say it anywhere else in my notes.
1: But it's just now. You'll see. You'll see. The I know, I gotta wait for the peel. Okay. You got well, no, you gotta
0: wait for the banana. We're at I, the peel. I know the
1: peeling of the
0: banana. Yeah, I gotta is what peel I mean. the banana to get to yeah, the banana. That's <laughs> what I meant. But <laughs> I could explain this bit because there's a reason that I'm doing the bit, but I think it's funny if I don't. Just banana and peel. Okay. Okay. So, um, like I said, he was going to preach in school. They moved to Tennessee for him to go to preach in school. And when he finished up or graduated, depending on, (laughs) Uh, they moved one state over to Alabama where Charles had gotten a job at a small town church. The family never missed a service and Liz was always hosting events or attending them. Unfortunately, preaching in a small Alabama town wasn't making ends meet financially, not with two small kids. So Charles started selling funeral vaults, which like are basically, if you don't know, if you've never, like, I don't, some people just don't know. You have a coffin and then you put the coffin inside Mm -hmm. of a burial vault and then that goes in the ground Mm
1: -hmm. to
0: keep it from sinking most of the time because, Mm -hmm. you know, then it's bad. A lot of cemeteries require them, so technically, like, theoretically, this is a good business to be in, because, like, you always need them. Yeah. One day, Liz could not get a hold of her husband, Charles. She takes her oldest son with her, and they go down to his office, wherever he was working, whether it be at the church or at the funeral burial vault place. Okay. And they found him curled up on the couch in his office, unable to move or speak. Between trying to balance both jobs, kids, and being heavily involved in their communities, Charles had had a full-on nervous breakdown. His doctors told him that he should quit preaching altogether, and he did for a while, even though this was really hard for him. This was all he knew. His father was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. He was a pastor. But Liz stepped up and became the breadwinner for the family, working, taking care of both boys, the home, and her husband, who was pretty out of it for a while. Eventually, he recovered and he started to preach again at the West Side Church of Christ. Their oldest son had gotten married, had some kids, and eventually come back from his time in the Navy to spend more time with his family. Everything seemed to go back to normal. Charles loved a cappella in his church. He didn't think that music or musical instruments were appropriate, so they sang a cappella a lot. He was always front and center, singing and preaching.
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> I, there's a lot of jokes there about musical instruments being instruments of sin and whatnot. Yeah. but I feel like you know that meme the little the white m- monkey the white yes with the hands that's what I feel just there it is
0: yep not much to say one day Charles came home from work to find a very gruesome scene He called 911, and officers arrived to find Liz struggling to breathe with nearly eight stab wounds, and she had been brutally beaten. EMS arrives, and the EMT actually knew Liz from their community, because this is a small town. Yeah. And he said he wouldn't have recognized her if somebody hadn't told him that it was Elizabeth.
1: Oh, my God.
0: She was taken to the hospital, and two hours into surgery, she passed away. So, obviously, say it with me, folks. It's always the husband, so police turned to Charles. Yeah. Who was distraught, and they started searching the property. At the home, they find a large black hunting knife, a baseball cap, and a home that looked pretty much destroyed. At first glance, they thought it could have been a robbery gone wrong, especially once Liz's daughter-in-law let the police know that the VCR she had gotten for Liz was missing.
1: Okay. One thing was missing? And then
0: they kept looking. And they realized that there were a couple lower-value things missing, but the $400 in Liz's purse was completely untouched, and there were lots of other valuables that were completely ignored in the home. They kept looking for evidence, and they found a Valentine's Day card from Charles to someone who was not his wife. This card was made out to a Doris, who was a woman that went to the West Side Church of Christ where he preached. Mm -hmm. So they're looking around, they're processing all this evidence, and about a week after the murder, they finally bring Charles into questioning about this card. He swears up and down that there was nothing going on. When they told him that they suspected him and his wife's murder, he swore he had nothing to do with it. He said he loved Liz and he would never cause her any harm. He immediately left the police station, gathered all his kids together, which would have been his oldest son's name was, his name was also Charles, but he went by Chuck. They have another, their second son was named Mike, and then okay. Charles was married. I I believe her name was Kim, but I'm really second guessing that, but she seemed to be pretty close with Elizabeth. It was her daughter-in-law. Okay. So it would have been the three of them. Okay. He gets them all together, and he tells them that he had an affair with Doris at the church. They were very upset. First, their mother had been brutally killed, and and now your dad is telling them that he had had an affair. They were very mad. (laughs) They were not okay. And Charles walked outside, and his truck was out front. So he was walking out towards his truck. He made eye contact with Mike, his younger son. And then he got into his truck and shot himself.
1: This is not how I thought this story was gonna go. I am so confused right now. What did you, how did you think the story was gonna go? Well, I mean, you said a vlogger who got. Oh, ar- I was just saying that arrested. so that they know I was gonna cover it later. Okay. Okay. So I, I somewhere missed something and got oh, confused. I'm sorry. No, that's my bad. Okay. I'm on it. Okay, I, I'm on it now. Okay, that makes more sense. Totally okay. separate. I'm sorry. Yes, that makes more sense. I don't know what I was thinking. No, I was. Just I was being sitting like... there waiting. Like, who's the vlogger? That's why when you said it took place in the, the 1980s, 80. I was like, wait. I thought you said this was a vlog. Like, where is no, that that? I'm so sorry. No, that's my bad. Listen back and make sure it makes sense. If it doesn't my make ADHD sense, just cut it out. In.
0: So he shot himself, and they rushed him to the hospital, but he did pass away from the gunshot wound. Mm. Okay. I actually think he died at the truck, but they still, like, called the police and everything. Yeah. So, here we are. Main suspect. He's dead. Yeah. The peel is peeling a little further back. Okay. Okay. The police put out a tip line, and they say there's a reward for any information that could lead to an arrest. Originally at $1,000, and now it was at, like, $10,000. They had jumped it up big yeah. time. Remember that baseball cap that they found at the scene? Well, they had run the hair that they found inside the cap. And it came back and it was not Charles's. So even though they were like, okay, our main suspect is dead, but maybe that was him. At least he wasn't alone. Yeah. So three days after Charles commits suicide, they get an anonymous call to the tip line. They ask about the reward. And then they give three names. None of them were Charles's name. The drama, the plot thickens. The three names were Billy Williams, John Parker, and Kenny Smith. Okay. Police jump into action, and they show up at Kenny Smith's house. There, they find the missing VCR... And they take him into custody. So the VCR was able to be matched because the daughter-in-law had either a receipt or a remote or they found a remote at the crime scene. It's kind of difficult to tell. But they had a serial number to match it to. Yeah. So That makes sense. They take Kenny into custody and he pretty much immediately, when presented with evidence, gives them a full statement, like a written statement of what happened. (laughs) And everything seems to corroborate this. So, you know. Pretty solid up until like the trial and then everybody's, you know, stories kind of scatter, but not not so much that we don't know pretty much what happened. Okay. So would you like some answers? Because Kenny's going to give them to you. Okay. All right. Give them to me, Kenny. Basically, Billy Williams was a tenant of Charles. Apparently they had an apartment. He was renting it from them. Charles came to him and said, I will pay you $3,000 to kill my wife. Mm. Charles borrowed this money from Doris, telling her that he needed to pay off some debt. And Charles was in debt, but that's not what he wanted her money for. He was going to use Liz's life insurance money to pay off his debt. Because he had just taken out a policy on her pretty recently. Of course. If Liz died, it would solve two of his main problems, his debt and his affair. Billy brought in Kenny Smith to help him, who then recruited John Parker. Okay. Charles gives them a diagram of the home. They they like meet a couple times, but Charles never tells Kenny his name and he never knows Kenny's name. Like it's pretty distant. Yeah. Kenny didn't even know that this was his wife until pretty close to the crime. He just, you know, he
1: just wants to kill somebody. He no, he really just wanted money. Well, we yeah, will later no, I met Charles, just he just
0: Oh yeah, he just had somebody that he needed to He just to, had somebody that he yeah. needed to, you know, get rid of. Exactly. So, Charles gives him a diagram of the home and says, "Make it look like a robbery because that really always works, guys." That
1: really works really well actually. Clearly none of these people who do this are true crime fans.
0: It doesn't ever work. It never <laughs> works. You can never make it look like a robbery. You know why? Because statistically, robberies don't go bad like that. Nobody dies in a robbery. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but not often. Yeah.
1: But usually if they do, it's more brutal because it's a home invasion. Yeah. It's very intentional. Yes. It's not just a robbery gone yes, wrong. Yes,
0: exactly. There is a difference. So, um, they like I said, they met up a few times. The day before the crime, everybody meets up. Charles, Billy, Kenny, John Parker. And he gives them $200 to buy supplies and shows them the rest of the money. Okay. Okay. John takes his portion but doesn't use it for supplies. He uses it for drugs. He was an opioid addict. And allegedly, Billy and Kenny were both um, users. But I couldn't find a ton of evidence to say that. I know John did because he was high at the time of the crime. He talks about that. Um, But I don't want to go around spouting off about Billy and Kenny when I don't know for sure. Yeah. So to be honest, though, it's about the only reason I can think that they would kill another person for $1,000, which is basically $2,500 today. Like, that's not enough money to kill somebody over unless you needed it for drugs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, unless you're Mm
0: -hmm. really
1: desperate. Exactly. So
0: the next day, John and Kenny knock on the door of the Senate home. Liz opens it and they tell her that Charles told them to come and check the woods around their property to see if they could hunt there. She's a little bit skeptical because they like didn't even really know Charles's name, but she calls him and he confirms, yeah, I told him to come check it out. So she lets them go do it and they actually do go and like walk the property and then come back. And when they come back, they ask her if she- they can come inside and use the bathroom. Kenny talks with liz while john parker goes to the bathroom and he puts socks on his hands and like at one point they he says that it's to avoid fingerprints but also they were supposed to be wearing gloves because it was cold. Yeah. so because it's cold yeah i don't know i don't make the rules um whatever anyway <laughs> um when he comes gloves? out of
1: gloves are expensive true but he already <laughs> has socks
0: he already has socks. <laughs> no, but I'm saying if he was wearing the gloves already, he didn't need to
1: put no, I know socks on. I'm just saying maybe he didn't have them. Maybe he didn't. Yeah, so I don't he know. just
0: had socks. There's like, not a lot of information about the actual crime because there's been so many appeals on all parts that it's just buried and it's really difficult to find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when he comes out from putting the socks on his hands, Liz is sitting in a chair in the den, and John attacks her from behind. Um, they beat her brutally with an iron rod before wrapping her in their Afghan rug to kind of keep her contained and to stop her fighting. And once she's in the rug, John Parker takes out a large hunting knife and stabs her through the rug. She started praying for them and then they left. Kenny says that while John beat her, he simply looked for valuables and took the VCR and broke some glass and they left when she started praying. Forensics confirmed that the rug fibers match what was found on the murder weapon. So this kind of lines up. Okay. This concludes the peeling of the banana. All right. So, the reason that this case even came up on my feed, because it's a pretty cut and dry case, is because recently Kenny Smith's trial came back up in the news. Because... You have to wait and see. We're starting with the other two first. <laughs> okay. Billy Gray Williams was originally charged with conspiracy to commit murder because he technically wasn't at the crime scene. He just kind of like got the other two in and got paid. Um, but there's barely anything on public record about his trial, so I'm not sure why. But at some point, his charges were changed from conspiracy to straight up murder. Don't know why. He was convicted. He spent the rest of his life in jail and he actually passed away recently in prison. Okay. John Parker was tried next. His defense was that he didn't actually kill Liz, that he thought he was just supposed to go in there and beat her up and that he left Liz, quote, closer to life than death and that Charles came in after the fact and stabbed her to death. Sure, John. That's why there was a second knife. Just kidding. They found the one knife. They found the murder weapon. Nothing makes sense. No. It was a stupid defense. It didn't work. Yeah. And he was convicted of capital murder. The jury recommended a life sentence. The judge disagreed and overruled the recommendation, sentencing him to death. Two decades later, he was executed by lethal injection in June 2010. Okay. Okay. Kenneth E. Smith. Kenneth Eugene Smith. Kenny Smith, if you will. He was tried in a different venue, a different county than the other two, because by the time his trial came around, Elizabeth's murder was very well known and everyone was worried about bias in the courtroom. Yeah. The judge changed the venue and put a gag order on the trial, which the other two had tried to get and they had said no. Okay. Okay. His defense argued that he hadn't done anything to Liz, that John Parker did everything, and obviously that didn't go over super well. Because like no, <laughs> no. He was convicted of the murder during his first trial.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: The jury also voted to impose the death penalty. Now, wow. John Parker and Billy Williams also appealed. And they got they got far, but not as far as kind of well, you'll see. Kenny's appeal, got him a retrial because the judge in the first trial had made a mistake and he hadn't entered any information or a memorandum or any sort of statement regarding the aggravating factors of the case that qualified it for the death penalty. Mm. So this was enough for a retrial. The new trial took place. It also convicted him, but the jury recommended a life sentence this time by a significant vote of 11 to 1. Okay. The judge disagreed and overruled jury recommendation and sentenced him to death. This has caused some serious issues because in 2017, Alabama was the final state to get rid of the ability for judges to do this.
1: Ah, gotcha.
0: They are no longer allowed to impose the death penalty regardless of jury recommendation. It was not retroactive, though, when they made this decision. They can't go back and change it. Yeah. So that meant that Kenny Smith was still on death row. After years of trying to get a stay on his execution, last year, on the day that he was supposed to be executed, the Supreme Court began to review his case. On the day of. Oh, my God. And I mean, at the nick of time, because he was already strapped to the execution gurney. What? While they reviewed his case, prosecution tried to have his stay of execution lifted. During the review, strapped to the execution gurney, the execution team tried and failed to set his IV lines. They never told him if they were on a day of execution or not. They never told him whether or not they were going through with executing him. And at one point, one person with unknown medical training began stabbing him in the collarbone, trying to place a central line. What? This went on for four hours. And eventually, the Supreme Court stated that they were going to execute him, and they allowed the warrant through midnight. So, when you're getting the death penalty, they give you an execution warrant that allows you to do that for so many hours. You have like this much time to do yeah. it. Yeah. Typically, it's the day of kind of thing. Yeah. Theirs was only until midnight, and it was like ten forty-five. <laughs> and they've been going at it for. Well, they weren't because he was on a stay of execution. They just kept trying to place lines and stuff. It was a, it was like. It was weird. It was either like a scare tactic or they were just like fucking around. I don't know what they were doing because they weren't supposed to be executing him. We'll talk about it, though, because this is this isn't this is not out of the norm for Alabama. Hmm. So because it was nearly 11 o'clock, they were given less than an hour or an hour and a half to complete the process that typically takes six hours. They continued to poke and prod at him, and eventually he was injected directly into his muscle with some sort of painful paralytic. And it was not a vein, and when he tried to tell them, you're not in a vein, you're in my muscle, they told him, like, ignore him and said no. And did it anyway. Eventually they called it quits when they realized that they didn't have enough time. This came up on my news feed, because apparently this is not the first time In Alabama, that this has happened. This is a consistent problem. They consistently have botched lethal injections.
1: What? (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. What? Yes. So this, the state's failure to execute him was in November of last year. This was the third straight time that the Department of Corrections execution team had problems accessing veins or executing inmates. Three times in a row. In that particular year. Yes. So Joe Natham James Jr. in July. It took them three hours to get a to, to place an IV line. And then Alan Eugene Miller in September, which was called off about ninety minutes after trying to set off the IV.
1: Friends. Friends. <laughs> yeah. Either you have completely incompetent people doing this. Mm -hmm. If they only have the time limit, like they only have so much time to do this, I can't imagine that they're intentionally, I mean, maybe they're intentionally doing it to essentially torture the person before. That's kind of the theory. Yes. But also another theory that I'll just throw out there is the main reason that you can't get a vein when drawing blood or starting an IV is because the person is dehydrated, which may make sense if the person has been incarcerated yeah they're probably not receiving the best nutrition and access to you know water and and, or they're choosing not to drink it themselves but um you would think that in leading up to death like you are they're sitting on death row and you know you're gonna do this like the day before make sure they're Drinking a lot of water. Hydrating. You don't know. I have no idea. So that way. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about
0: our views on death penalty. We're not going to get super into it because, like, you know, it's just, it's whatever. It's not, it's not my bag, but whatever. This is also fuel for a lot of people who are anti-death penalty. And what I don't like is that it's turning Kenny Smith, somebody who did commit a crime into a victim. But he is because at the same time, like, he was given this painful paralytic. He wasn't able to walk. He was poked and prodded at for four hours. He was strapped yeah. vertically
1: to a gurney. It's not supposed to be. No. That's why it's we supposed do to be lethal humane. injection now. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be humane.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. Basically, after they failed to execute Kenneth, They basically paused executions in Alabama to do a review of the procedure, and that review lasted from November to February, and then they cleared the way, and they said you can continue like executing people by lethal injection in Alabama. Ken's legal counsel is using the record of this shitty lethal injection process to press forward and try and get his death penalty carried out by a lethal gas known as nitrogen hypoxia. Basically, they would force the inmate to breathe only nitrogen,
1: depriving them of oxygen and forcing them to die. Which yeah, may or may not be slower, but you'd be out of it because yes. of your lack of oxygen, so exactly. It wouldn't be painful, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah,
0: and like Alabama technically authorized this in 2018, allowed like this to be a form of execution. Because there was a shortage of drugs used to carry out lethal injections, and so they were like, well, we don't have any other options, so. Yeah. But they they really haven't used it till now, till this has come up, to actually execute somebody. Yeah. Oklahoma and Mississippi have also authorized it, but haven't used it. So it's there. It's an option. It's just not the go-to option, typically. Right. So they lifted the hold and a man was put to death in July, but Kenneth Smith is still alive and still fighting to have that be his form of death. Wow. Yeah. It's a fascinating case and it it all came up because this would be the first person in the country to be put to death by nitrogen
1: um, hypoxia. Okay. So it's interesting. It's just crazy to me that somebody has to... like I, I just can't imagine somebody has to fight to like I want to die this this way. way, yeah. So I just wanted to
0: end on um, the last words of John Parker. So at John Parker's execution, the family of Elizabeth Senet was there, and they, you know, they were upset. They had never gotten an apology. From John Parker. And you know, it, it was it was difficult for them. I can't imagine being there like when
1: the person who killed your mom was executed. That's a I wouldn't I personally wouldn't want to be there. I mean, just tell me when it's done.
0: Uh yeah. But I don't that, know. I, I don't know. I, I I I'm not faulting
1: people who would want to be there. Like I get why they would want to be there but i don't
0: know i think i think i i could see myself going to
1: something like that because being around like
0: death directly doesn't bug me yeah so i don't know interesting to think about um but basically his final words were i'm sorry i don't ever expect you to forgive me i really am sorry
1: yeah so they got their apology and he's the one who we know wasn't opioid addict. Yes, yes, yeah. because um, he had taken the the
0: two hundred or his hundred dollars that he was given. They split it between the two of them, mm-hmm. and he had used it to purchase to purchase al- or opioids, and then he had used those before the crime. Yeah. And fun fact: Billy Williams used his portion, his thousand dollars of the three thousand dollars, to go buy a waterbed. <laughs> I wish I was joking. Oh. Yeah. The other weird thing about this case is that the detective who worked on it, his last name was May, he had worked on another crime at a convenience store a few weeks prior, and Charles Sennett was there then. And so when Charles Sennett, like, oh, when all this started, he recognized him and had to think back about when he had seen him before. He was connected to two murders that he had worked on. Charles Parker, or Charles, I'm sorry, Charles Senate wasn't actually involved in the other one. Oh, he just... No, saw, no, no, no. He was just there at, like, when he was, yeah, looking, was around looking around the crime scene. Like, what? No, no, He just had seen him before he was there when he was looking at this crime scene. Yeah. And so he was like, oh, my gosh. It's a full circle moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. So whatever happened to Miss Doris?
0: We don't really know what happened to Miss Doris. Doris.
1: We don't know what happened. Girl.
0: She Girl. dodged a bullet, I think. Chuck and Mike have been in... They do interviews. They've been in a couple different um, documentaries. They were in American Monster about their case. Um, watching home videos was kind of moving to see them. And they just were upset because, you know, Chuck was like, you know, my mom, my grand- my kids and my grandkids are missing out on my mom, who was this very loving and kind person. And um, Mike called her a mother hen. Or Mama Hen. He said, you should take anybody under her wing. Just take care of them. And, you know, it's just horrible that that's how her life ended, unfortunately. Awful. Yeah.
1: Like, I want to say, let's have a discussion about why it is that people (laughs) feel the need to kill their spouse when they're having an affair.
0: I don't know, but it you know, Charles did have history of mental health issues as well. Yeah.
1: Well I don't know.
0: And the other thing that I couldn't really find was I could never find where he why he was in debt or how much debt he was in. Place every source just was like, he was in debt. And I'm like, but why? I mean other than just being a little bit broke because they had kids and he didn't make much money.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, honestly, being a person who used to be church going and seeing how pastors and pastors wives whether they choose to to be that way or it's just the unspoken pressure of being in that position mm-hmm. that you know we we would go to we've been to a few different churches when we were church going one Our church that we loved in Ohio. And we've been to a few different churches here in Florida. And I can say, especially here in Florida, I mean, generally speaking, this area is much more affluent than where we Mm -hmm. come from in Ohio. But yeah, they're they're like the pastors, many of them live it up. I don't want to say they're excessive, but they keep up appearances. Yeah. And I don't
0: know how much of that was occurring here because of how small the town was and that like it was, you know, eighty-eight in Alabama. But, yeah, I definitely think that that has something to do with it because they really tried very hard to give off this We're so put together,
1: yeah, and it's vibe. not, and I don't want to say they're trying to look wealthy. It's not even that they're trying to look no. wealthy. it's just I mean, pastors don't get paid a ton unless they do something outside of their pastoral duties, mm-hmm. like write a book or you know make money on their own in some other way um. Many of the pastors that I've known, especially in Ohio, had second jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, what did, but it, but it's you know. that whole persona that honestly, even the congregation, like, they unknowingly or un- unintentionally just expect perfection from these people. Yeah. And so there's this like constant, like, we need to look put together, but looking put together often costs money. Yeah. And if you're not making that kind of money, then. Yeah, you're gonna live in debt. Mm-hmm. And Dave Ramsey was still in real estate at the time, not giving out his financial advice. Don't get me, <laughs> don't get me started on Dave Ramsey. Please
0: don't get me started on Dave Ramsey. I have lots of feelings about Dave Ramsey.
1: <laughs> that does not surprise me, but I'm just saying. No, but that's he, like the go-to amongst in churches. churchgoers. Yeah. Yes,
0: is and that's I, I, I've taken a Dave Ramsey class before.
1: So have I. I'm not saying it doesn't work for some people. I don't disagree with all of oh, his Yeah, exactly. Sentiments. It's not everything. I agree with a lot of it, but there's some that's just unrealistic for today's day and age. Most you know? people, and especially if you're just starting out as a young adult. His his today. like high
0: school course that he has in Florida schools sometimes on Florida virtual. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. It it basically teaches kids that you don't need a credit score at all. Like you can just Oh no,
1: that's yeah, that's the one thing that I don't agree with. I'm like, that that's He not- teaches yeah people, well that that works when you're like when a you multimillionaire. Have more established, yeah. But like you were able to do that because you got to a point where you had enough money that you no longer needed to use your credit to, to get like, stuff. And yeah. if you can do that, fantastic. Let's hope and pray you never, you know, run out of your money. Yeah, exactly. Or lose all your money. But, yeah, for most people, the vast majority yeah. of people, you can't pay cash
0: for everything. Yeah. So Dave Ramsey couldn't help. Charles sent it, unfortunately. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you made it this far in <laughs> the episode, leave us a little uh, chicken emoji for our mama hen. And we will see
1: you next week. Till next time. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at burdenofproofpod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.